This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem at Asia Torah overlooking the Western Wall. Today we're discussing the, the unique connection between being clear of your emotional toxins and 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 spiritual achievement when it's not spiritual achievement, spiritual connection but when i say spiritual connection i don't mean like surface i mean i'm talking about full fusion undeniable mystical recognition of spirit reality like the real deal stuff not not the religious stuff not the stuff religious people talk about but but an actual personal mystical experience the and and just to distinguish that is is people have religious experiences that are generally tied to the religious thing they're doing or whatever like for example you can make kiddish and which is when we sanctify the sabbath over the wine and that can be a, a really spiritual experience. And it's going to be an, an experience. Anyone here had a really spiritual kiddish before? Like a real spiritual kiddish. Okay, so the three of us have had that. Four of us have had that out of a room of, you know, whatever, 16 people about. So, so, the, so you can have that kind of thing, but it's going to be tied to kiddish. Like it's connected to kiddish totally. And kiddish has nothing to do with you. Kiddish is, you know, it's, it's a prophetic prophetic commandment uh, that when the Sabbath comes in or any other holiday, you must demarcate the movement from doing to being because the weekdays you do and on the Sabbath you're being. So you have to demarcate doing to being via this cup of wine and the things you say on it. Well, that's since it's a prophetic commandment, there's a lot offered as a spiritual experience through Kiddush. And by the way, I suggest that everyone make an effort to um, do what it would take to have a spiritual experience with every commandment, and certainly a positive one. I mean, I'm not expecting you to have a very spiritual experience of a negative commandment, like, thou shalt not eat pig. Whoa, you know, like, <laughs> like what a spiritual experience that was. You know, so I'm not expecting you to have a spiritual experience because you didn't eat the hot dog at the ball game. But the but a positive commandment by all means should be a, a spiritual moment in your in your week, very spiritual moment. And so if you're missing that, so then that's like the beginning of your wake up call to the fact that you know you got to bump up your game. But I'm talking when we say a mystical experience, a mystical experience is not religious by 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 definition. It's it's between you and and God, and it's you don't have to be Jewish, you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be observant as observant as a Jew. It's it's just a, uh, a an experience where you were able to poke through the veil of the physical world and and have a an Im- the immediacy of the spiritual world, uh, ha- you know, in a very direct contact to the point where where you can never explain it, but you can never deny it. And you could walk into that experience as an atheist and leave touched forever and maybe even consider yourself still an atheist, but from now on only philosophically, not, not on a level of uh, 
personal experience. But still, you, just because you had a personal mystical experience isn't going to like take down someone's atheistic philosophy. So they may stick with it. They may stick with that philosophy, but, but deep down they'll never be able to deny that they've, they've touched something beyond the material world. That's the mystical. Now, um, what we're developing here is that the thing that blocks us from the mystical experience is the fact that you hold emotional pain inside of you. And if you were able to rid yourself of your emotional pain, you you would be... I'm not saying you'd perforce have a mystical experience, but that it would be the next obvious place you'd go. So if you could rid yourself of your emotional pain, you would go into a mystical experience. Now, most people wouldn't put those two together. Most people just wouldn't connect the two because it's like... One has to do with my psychology, perhaps. Maybe a psychologist could help with emotional pain. And the other one would have to do with, I don't know, uh, people who have mystical traditions that have ways of uh, interfacing with the mystical. And you wouldn't think those two paths necessarily cross. Now, in one particular place where you see that they do cross is, is that is that when someone has a full catharsis, meaning a full emotional release of, of their, you know, some kind of toxic emotions inside of them from some, either an event or, or it could be just an ongoing thing they have, that when someone releases all that, that, they're, that they go into a mystical state. So I'd like to kind of connect those two. And, and what I believe is the connection of the two is, is the ego. When someone has what's called the ego death, when, when, you're, when, you, when you go into an egoless state, the, the, you can go into a mystical trance at that point. When you're egoless, there's a mystical state available right there. And the... We have various ways of knowing about that. One of them is, is that many prophets, especially the most famous prophets of Israel, they achieved their prophecies in the wilderness. Uh, they were shepherds, generally, and shepherds spend all their time in the wilderness. And after enough time in the wilderness, you know, you're really, you really succeed at becoming nobody because there's just nothing but you in the wilderness. And, and there's... Ego is kind of hard to have when there's no one else in the picture. And so they would be by themselves in the wilderness long enough that the mysticism, sorry, a mystical experience would kind of descend on them. And so, so there's an egolessness there. So what is emotional toxicity? Emotional toxins and ego have to do with each other. So the, the connection in, in that... And I'm, I'm thinking out loud, as usual, but right now I'm just working this out as I go, is a lot of the emotions that are real, the real toxins inside of us are humili- hum- humiliating. A lot of the emotional stuff inside of us that would really make you just go full convuls- convulsive crying 
like like all the way, like to the point where like we could barely peel you off the floor with a spatula. The that kind of emotional convulsive outpouring would be just humiliating. It would just be absolutely humiliating. And each one of us has that inside of us. There's no one in here who couldn't go there. You can't go there if you don't have the toxins. And there's no one in the room who couldn't go there. I'm sorry. Probably none of us could go there. But there's none of us who shouldn't go there. Not what I'm trying to say. There's no one in here so emotionally clean that they couldn't go there given the right circumstances and the safety and someone holding the space for them and, and being able to process their way, which may take several days depending on what you're doing to get there. But but there's no one in the room who couldn't go into a full convulsive, like crazy outpouring of emotion, of pain. All of us. Every one of us. And there's probably, I would say the majority of people in the room could go there on 10 different topics, which would be 10 different whole times. Meaning 10 totally different sessions of, of this outpouring. Okay, so let's just say you're the average. So you have 10 of those. Um, in my life, I'm a little older than most people in here. In my life, I've had, I don't know, maybe 15 of those types of experiences in my life. Maybe more, maybe 20 of those. And I was bubble wrapped in West Los Angeles. Like nothing went wrong. You know, the closest pedophile was like 11 zip codes away. You know, like, like there's just like, there was no crime. There were no locks on the doors. You know, if your teacher smacked you, he'd go to jail. He'd go to like a federal penitentiary for life. You know, maybe the death penalty for like striking a student. You know, like we were so bubble wrapped in this like homogenous environment of rich Jewish Ashkenazim, at least till the Persians invaded. And, and, you know, it was just like not the place where trauma was happening at all, you know, at all. Like the biggest trauma was like, like you lost your bag of weed or something, you know, like, like nothing ever went wrong there. And, and even that you found in, you know, in the laundry or something. So, so the, so... And I myself have cried out a good 15, 20 of these things. Almost every time followed with a mystical experience. Almost every time. So, what's the, so what is it? So when we, when, if you have those emotional toxins that are under the surface, they're being always shoved down, because how, do how could you go on? You can't go on with those. You either get rid of them or shove them down, but you can't have them hovering around your consciousness. You understand? They can't be near the surface. And so you either have them deep down or they're coming out. By the way, they're wonderful to come out. You know why? Because when they come out, guess where they stay? Out, yeah. Everyone say out. When they come out, guess where they stay? Out. When you shove them in, guess where they stay? In. And believe me, they affect you. And But what happens is, if I have a volcano that I'm, you know, an internal volcano that I've, I've, kind of arranged my life around it not exploding. <laughs> you know, it's not erupting. If I have an emotional volcano that, that I've organized my life around it not erupting, so then, well, 
that's going to that's going to have to come with a lot of personality moves. And those personality moves, you know, you're going to have to make some kind of chess moves to keep those things, you know, down below. So those personality moves are ego oriented. You understand? Like you, you have to create persona here. That's going to be personality moves. Ultimately, is going to be a persona, and and a complex one, considering there's probably multiple volcanoes inside of each one of us. And so, the and so what's going to happen is there's going to be a persona. Once there's persona, that's your ego. And once there's your ego, well, ego and mystical experiences are 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 going to cancel each other out, meaning that you can't have a mystical experience with ego. Which is why when someone does have one of those volcanoes erupt fully, like they really get, get it all out, it's followed by a mystical experience. And what's really interesting about those mystical experiences is that, is that you can even come out with an afterglow that can last months or years. Which is really interesting because, like for example, uh, let's say someone has a vice. Uh, games on their phone they don't stop playing or tennis or golf or surfing or you know, some sport that they just can't do enough of or some activity they can't get enough of they will find themselves months later not doing that activity and not missing it one iota not even thinking it's not it didn't even cross their minds until someone finally said to them hey what's going on with your candy crush addiction you know and and you're just like Oh my gosh. Or, you know, someone comes up to you and says, hey, what's in the news? Because you're a news addict. And you realize you haven't looked in the news in three months. Which is really interesting. That after the mystical experience, the things that you use as a diversion no longer are necessary. You're just hooked up, locked in. The, uh, the psychedelic medicine experience, experience is an ego death where, um, where people have a, a kind of an unraveling of self, often meeting those dark spots inside of themselves, coming with a deep emotional uh, release, same exact type of thing. And then, uh, and then followed by a mystical experience, all in one package. And then, uh, and then often followed by several months of an afterglow where, they, where they're just not interested in their vices anymore. I'm just giving you another example of, of where, where you see this to be the case, where the, the same ego death, same emotional release, sorry, emotional release, ego death, mystical experience. They seem to be coming together. Um, what all of this means, I guess for us, is that, is that we all should be seeking, we, we should all be seeking those releases. We should all be seeking that with, with great um, ambition. We should be ambitious about our scary emotional parts inside of us. Now, I know that if you're a young uh, for example, many of you young girls here who are anywhere between 18 and 23 or 22, um, nobody wants that. Nobody wants You don't want it. Your teachers don't want it. Your parents don't want it. Nobody wants it. 
Nobody wants it, but at the same time, you have to let go of spiritual attainment, which relegates you to religion, which is fine. I mean, it's okay to be a religious person, but but uh, but it means not having a personal mystical experience, which is uh, a little hard because you're kind of stuck with your parents' god, you know, which is called the uh, Elokea Vosai, the god of our my father. Not the end of the world. I mean, it's you can have the God of your father. That's that's a good thing, but but not Elokai, not my God. And um, and I'm sure there's also boys here of young ages that would also be scared out of their pants to have such a have such an experience as to have a full release like that. It's destabilizing, you know. But the funny thing is, is who's more destabilized? Someone who did it and got it out or someone who holds it in? Who's more destabilized? And what's the definition of stability? It seems the definition of stability is how much stuff can you hold inside. <laughs> that makes you stable. <laughs> how, how would you like to marry a stable person based on that definition? Would you want to marry that guy? How much, can you, how much stuff can you hold inside? How much dark, rotten, festering, moldy, emotional toxicity can he hold together, hold inside and still appear normal? You realize that's what we call stability, ultimately, because there's nobody without the toxins inside. And so stability means I'm, I'm going to keep it all together. I'm going to hold it in. I'm going to have my act together. <laughs> you want to marry someone with their act together? Or would you rather marry someone with their authenticity together? Which one? Because an act is never authentic. An act is always something you're acting. So there's nothing authentic about an act. It's, uh, I mean, a good actor does, tries to approach the authentic so that you, you, you buy into the role he plays at the, you know, in the movie or in the, in the play you're watching. So obviously the act should be as authentic as possible, but I think everyone in the room agrees this is somewhat, something he's done many times, you know. This is this is the third showing this week of the same exact story, and and this is a, you know it is an act and not authentic, and we're we're all in agreement about this about this act. So, so based on that, uh, stability is someone who's released their emotional toxins. That's what I would call stable. Now, the experience of releasing the most of the toxins, does that sound like stability or instability? Which one? That's extremely destabilizing. Why? And that is why you don't go there alone. If you're going to do that kind of work, you have to have someone who knows what's going on so that you can let go. Also, what are the chances of you going there without going into some state of surrender? Could you ever go there without some state of surrender? Yes or no? No, you have to you surrender and going there to allow your emotional volcano to let out all its toxins would require surrender. You have to go into a state of full surrender. Well, how are you going to do that? And the answer is, is that you need someone who is not surrendered. You need someone in there who is holding the space for you to do that so that you can do that. Because it's not somewhere you go alone. 
You get that? Like, you just don't go there alone. You need someone holding the space for your surrender. And so, and so that's really important. You're also going to need time. It's going to take hours. You know, so that automatically disqualifies therapy because you can't do it in 50 minutes. You know, you, you're, you're nowhere in 50 minutes, 5 0. You're nowhere. Nowhere near this experience. It just does not take place. Period. It will never take place in therapy, such a thing. Which is very interesting because that means that our deepest issues will stay, even if we're in therapy. And I've actually met people, met many of them last week actually, uh, when I was working in New York because I run a seminar that, that does this work called The Possible You. And I, I just ran it in uh, three, three of those in New York uh, for the last two weeks uh, for, I don't know how many people, 50... Six people, I think it was. Three different seminars broken into 20 about each. And, uh, and my, me and my, my staff and I held space for the people to go there. But the, uh, many of those people came up to me or spoke to the whole group saying they had spent ten, tens of thousands of dollars. And one was, was he, he said hundreds of thousands. I don't believe that. But I believe that it was over $100,000 in therapy. And he only cleared out the stuff once he had the hours available, which obviously we're going to give because that's the name of the game is to release that stuff. You've got you to get it out and it's going to take time. And you need the, the staff. And, and we do a lot of surrender work, a lot of surrender work. <laughs> the, uh, first of all, you have to charge a lot so that people will surrender their money. They have to feel they've let go of something. So you can't make it cheap. It's got to be a lot. Now, when someone's desperate, okay, so, you know, you just like secretly let them in. But the, uh, just hope the room itself does the work for them without them releasing money. They don't have any money anyway. Shalom, ladies. Table for three. Uh, all I see is one chair. Um, oh, there's another chair. Here's a third chair. You mind helping with dudes? Can you just grab a chair each and bring it back there? Grab that for your partner, and then this one, this one will go to the back. Sorry, we're a little short on chairs. Today. Just put it right there. Yeah, that's good. If these chairs weren't so clangy, clangy, I wouldn't interrupt my classes for them. But it's like, second you move one of those chairs, you got to stop. So, so first you got to charge money to get them to release their money. Then you gotta, then you gotta make it a lot of time and get them to surrender their time. I mean, you need the time anyway, but a lot of time. And then as soon as they all sit down, one of my staff members comes through with a bo- well, there's a staff member per row who goes around with a box. And they have to remove their phones from their pockets. Phones, plural, for the real busy ones. And, uh, and they have to shut them off and stick them in the box. And now they lose their phone. And inevitably, one of them asks, so when's the break? Do you think I'm going to tell them when the break is? What do you think? Yes or no? <coughs> no way. And hopefully, it'll make a fight. Hopefully, make a fight. And he's going to say, well, someone's coming to pick me up. I need to let them know. I said, you don't even have a phone. How are you going to let them know? He says, you won't tell me when the break is? And I said, I don't know when the break is. I also don't know when this ends. 
and and they go into this like psycho thriller that that I'm messing with them the whole time to get them to surrender the fact that they're not in control of this. And what's what's a lot of fun is um, a lot, what's a lot of fun with all this is the uh, hi, ladies, standing room only today. Hi. What's uh what's close the door, please. What's a lot of fun with this is um, is that the um, I forgot what I was going to say. Nice, it's new phones, running, knowing what's going. Oh, it's a lot of the people. A lot of the people, their their dominant fear is is being controlled. <laughs> so this is like, there's a nightmare. You understand? There's an absolute nightmare for them. So, and especially the guy who wants to know when the break is. You know, this is an absolute affront to their need of being in control. And. And so, on the one hand, it's really important to let them know they're safe. And on the other hand, it's really important to let them know that they're not in control. And they're not going to be in control. And what happens is, eventually, eventually they do surrender themselves. All of them. Everyone surrenders in the end. And and then there's the you know there's all these release situations happening where people are releasing toxins from them, themselves emotional toxins the volcanoes are going off and then the whole thing turns mystical the whole thing goes fully mystical at that point on everything just moves mystical. So like our last five hours together, in the room together, five hours straight, is just a pure mystical experience. Where I, I, what I do is my, my commitment during those five hours is to give them, give them kind of a, a, a way to hold, like a, a vessel to hold the, the spirituality that, that flows into the room after the emotional toxins were released. And and then all of a sudden the whole room realizes that everything they thought they were doing there had nothing to do with it. Because everyone thought they were there to do all this work on themselves. When we work on ourselves, it's... it's well, I mean, there's certain things you got to work on. I mean, stinginess you got to work on. Laziness you got to work on. You know, you're going to bed... L- at three in the morning every night because you're addicted to YouTube, you know, you got to work on that. There are certain things you got to work on. I call that personal growth. But personal transformation work, which is a little different than personal growth, personal transformation work is, it's not something you work on. It's, it's something that happens when, when you're in the right conditions to release all the emotional toxins. And then the mystical experience starts. And once you're in that mystical experience, then to realize at that point that this is a spirit world. None of this is real. 
none of this, this whole world we live in is, is, a, is a digital simulation. Ooh, we just ran out of air. I'm a, I have an extremely good sinus system that knows the second we're out of air. Um, can you mind opening that window, please? And slide over so you can open it. Sorry about the ambient noise, but we just need need air. Did anyone else notice that that second we ran out of air? No one else noticed. I have a, I have extremely clear sinuses and an insane sense of smell. So so the second there's not perfect air in a room, I like boom, like we used it up. There's nothing left in here. So I, will, uh, you know what I'll do is I'll just, I'm just gonna like, give you a taste of, of I'll, I'll give you a taste of what the mystical feeling feels like, just to give you a taste of it. It will be nothing more than a taste because we didn't do all the work that it comes with to get rid of our stuff. But at least you can get a little taste, and I have to do it kind of quickly because we're a little short on time. We can start with just uh, a little mindfulness exercise, um, and that is the the. I'll ask you a question: Are you aware that you're aware? Are you aware that you're aware? The answer is yes. Everyone in this room is aware that they're aware. Are you aware that you're aware? For sure, you're aware that you're aware. So. Now, you might be asking me, like, why am I using the word awareness twice? I'm aware that I'm aware. And the answer is that, yeah, because you've got a brain that took, takes the stimulus of the room around you, the sounds, the, the temperature of the room, the people around you, and the feeling of your clothing, and the, and the, the sight, the sounds, the aromas, hopefully not too many. Oh, I have some, uh, I might as well burn some, uh, I have my little incense burner here. Today's, uh, on the menu today is Copal. Hopefully you'll smell it, because I'm a little low on it. Copal is like a Native American, uh, comes from some tree sap. It's usually used in, like, sacred ceremonies and stuff. Hopefully you'll get the smell. It's really sweet. Women are crazy about Copal. Men like it, but men like more, a little more bitter smells when it comes to incense. It seems to be friends the best. You smell it yet? <laughs> I smell it like a mile away. It's really, I'm pretty short on it here. Don't you guys carry around digital, digital incense burners? <laughs> yeah, I think we're officially out of Copal here. I didn't bring any on me right now. So it's not toxic, right? It's, just <laughs> <laughs> it's tree sap. So hopefully you'll smell it. It should get over to you eventually. Didn't get to you guys? Oh, got you. It's pretty special, right? Oh. Got it? Yeah, oh. Copal is very special. 
Yeah, it was Copal. So, anyway, so when I ask you, are you aware that you're aware? Are you aware that you're aware? So one awareness is just your brain being stimulated because you're certainly aware that there's like stuff here, you know, like there's an awareness. But then you, there's a you that's aware of that. There's a you that's aware of that. So everyone take a breath and get further, closer aware of that awareness. You see, since you've been sitting in here, I've been stimulating you with this class. Just your eardrums getting stimulated, your visuals. And because you weren't really focused on your awareness of the awareness, so the, the brain awareness had, so to speak, hijacked your awareness. And by discussing the awareness of your awareness, now you kind of get yourself back to being the one whose eardrums and eyes are being stimulated by, by you know, this, the voice and the sights. You get that? You're, you're, getting, you're getting back yourself in the, in the equation of sitting in this class. Now, what if a lot of your awareness of the awareness, what if a lot of the awareness of your awareness was being hijacked not by the stimulation of this class, but rather was being hijacked by, by complex defense mechanisms to keep you safe? When I say safe, I mean emotionally safe. What if it were, what if you had complex systems going on literally inside the brain. Not, they're not going on in you. Not in that ultimate awareness of the awareness. But the brain that gets stimulated by sound and sight is also getting heavily stimulated by, by a, a super complex, sophisticated defense system to protect you emotionally. Almost like def- protecting you from like falling off a cliff on a hike which is a real danger but it's actually protecting you from all kinds of complexities that are not a real danger in fact there's no danger at all but yet the 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 hijackings coming from super complex sophisticated moves being made to protect you and now imagine that that all that stimulation goes away and you need not protect yourself because there's nothing to protect yourself from. And when you, when you, um, and how do you know there's nothing to protect yourself from? Because on the one hand, there's trust, trusting in the person who holds the space. But even without that, let's say you actually released everything you had to release in that safe space, only to discover that you're free. And that it was all okay. I mean, it was scary as hell and probably humiliating that you had to do that and maybe people saw you cry like that. You know, that might have been very rough. But but now it's out. And then and then you realize, oh my gosh, like if that's out, I don't need to be vigilant anymore, at least for that volcano. That's one less volcano inside of me that I've got to be vigilant for. And so the part of the brain that's vigilant is has gone kind of flatlined. It's it's no longer protecting you because it doesn't need to because you let the volcano go. You released it. 
So then what comes up is the awareness of your awareness, meaning the pure conscious self, the real self, suddenly has center stage. Well, what is that awareness? What is the pure consciousness that now has center stage? What is that? And the answer is, it's part of God. And as the two fuse, you get your mystical experience. As those fuse, meaning as your awareness of your awareness, as that awareness, that pure consciousness, then takes the stage. So then you realize, obviously, that it doesn't have an existence, doesn't show up in an MRI. I mean, there's no I in an MRI. It doesn't show up in an MRI. It's not in any brain scans. It's not a physical part of you, the awareness. It's something beyond, way beyond you. And, and it's somehow connected beyond space and time. It only knows now. It never dies. It never gets old. It has no connection to age whatsoever. This is why, as an athlete, I used to see people in wheelchairs, and I was like, oh, what a life, you know, until I finally realized, what is my life? Well, because I have arms and limbs, and, you know, like, I can race down a hill on a bike or surf a wave. No, my life's my consciousness, and that person in that wheelchair has that. And even that Down syndrome kid has that. And, and you see, Torah always defends them. Torah defends the... The, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and the, and the cripple, and, the, and the, anyone at, in any situation where they are somehow in a deficit, they, the Torah will always defend them because the Torah is always talking about the supremacy of the conscious, the conscious soul inside of all people. But ours so often is veiled by the protective devices that we've set up to protect us from basically nothing but a repeat of some uncomfortable situation you had as probably as a kid where there was some situation that wasn't comfortable, wasn't good. It was, it was something that was hard for you. And so ever since then, your brain set it up, set itself up to vigilant, vigilantly protect you from a reoccurrence in some adult situation, which would never happen anyway, because you know, you're not a dummy not going to wind up in that situation. So then you just spend your life vigilant. And of course, with your true consciousness eclipsed in the mystical experience far away. But by going in there and releasing it all, you then get to the pure awareness of true consciousness, which fuses with God and hence the mystical experience. And then now re-embracing, reintegrating all Torah commandments, especially the positive ones, you're the most spiritual Jew you ever met. Um, this Thursday night, I actually am um, I'm, I'm doing an event. It will have pizza available. It's going to be in Dushinsky. Uh, it's it's, uh, it's going to be this Thursday night, I guess, at 8.30 maybe. Um, and, uh, and next week begins a possible use seminar here in Jerusalem. First time in like half a year or something like that. So that's a men's ex- event. So men are invited if they'd like to have this experience, or if you know someone in Jerusalem, let them know. Shalom. So please click on whatever you got to click on, forward, share, subscribe, all those things. Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.